guys. Hola. Good to, uh, it's good to see everybody. Uh, forgive me, I am a little, well, I'm actually very sick as well. I don't know, I guess we passed it to each other. Uh, Tony was, had the flu, I believe, last week, and then I got it. So <laughs> I don't know if he left it at the pulpit or what, but uh, then I picked it up. So great, um, wonderful. So forgive me for being a little less uh, hello, touchy-feely, huggy, okay. Um, I'm, we're talking about stewardship, so I want to be a steward of public health, okay, so I don't want to get anybody here sick, but uh, I, I do hope to be infectious with the gospel with you today, okay. Um, you know what, you're going to get a lot of this. In this. <laughs> Would you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, very end of the, cha- uh, of the uh, gospel of Matthew, And we're in a series, as you know, called All In, All In, and we are talking about a a very Christian word that gets passed around, and we're not really sure always what it means, called stewardship. And the idea of stewardship is that we believe that something is owned by something but managed by someone else. And in this case, we believe that all things belong to God, but that we are managers of them. So God owns it, I manage it. That's sort of our motto, uh, at least... I'll try to repeat that over the next few weeks that I'll be preaching for you. Uh, God owns it, I manage it. And now last week, if you were here with us, uh, Pastor Tony defined what a a steward looked like and and biblically what it was, historically what it was, and how we can become stewards of things uh, that God has for us. And when we talk about stewardship, it's it's all things that uh, we'll be going through in this series. Not every single little thing, but stewardship over things like money, finances, our work. Because usually we think of like stewarding, like, oh, money, okay, because it's easy to see. But there is, we are called to be stewards of all things, including what we will be talking about today, which is the gospel. How can we reorient our lives to be good stewards of the gospel, of the good news about Jesus Christ? I believe that all other things are going to kind of stem from this. Uh, How can we be good stewards of this good news that has been entrusted to us. Now, uh, what you we're about to read through is known as the Great Commission. Uh, oftentimes, if you were to just Google search really quick, what is the Great Commission? They'll tell you, go and make disciples of all nations. There'll be probably something from Wikipedia that says something like, oh, it's Jesus' instructions of how to spread the word about the good news of Jesus and the kingdom of God. Um, we're going to read through section 16. Uh, the, the passage actually starts at verse 16, so we could get some of the context. And we're going to see that there is actually a key verse that is generally missed in most of the time when you're going to do a, a Google search. Uh, so what I'm going to do is break down this passage uh, into three uh, little segments, and then we're going to talk about the implications of what it would look like to be a good community of, of gospel stewards, if you will. Um, So let's read through this, and then I'll I'll lead us in a prayer. uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples, remember Judas died after betraying Jesus, went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? 
Gracious God, we thank you so much for your creation. We thank you so much for creating us in your likeness. And though we have rebelled, although we have not chosen the things of you, thinking that we could do things better, Lord, you sent us your son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us. And not only that, but to continue to change us and transform us to be more into your likeness once again. And Lord, you have commissioned us. You have passed on the responsibility and assigned us, giving us authority to go out and teach and preach these things. Lord, who are we? But we thank you for every opportunity that we have. We pray that you will transform us as a community and as individuals and shape us through your word today, that we may be able to go out and reorient our lives to be better stewards of your good, good news. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the context, of course, to this verse, as, as it's sort of closing off the Gospel of Matthew, is again, well, Jesus died and was resurrected. So that's actually really good news. Yeah, it is good news, <laughs> because he said, well, this is what's going to happen, and it validated just about everything in his ministry. And it showed us that, hey, there's one, there's life after death, and that I'm doing all things new. I'm making all, th I'm remaking everything once again. That's how the Bible actually ends with Jesus announcing, behold, I make all things new. Uh, he is the God of life. So we see his disciples, that would be Peter and the gang, minus Judas, like I said, uh, uh, back in Galilee, Galilee on this mountain. And what we see here is that as soon as they see Jesus walking up, what do they do? Some of them worship. In other words, they kind of bow down. And it says that some, we don't know if that means that some of them were doing it, but they kind of were troubled, or if there was like half the group was doing one thing and half the other, we're not sure. Doubted, or lingered, or wavered, depending on the translation you have. They weren't literally, as our series is called, all in. They weren't really sure, and we're not sure, why exactly they weren't all in quite yet. The text doesn't really make clear the reasoning behind it. But we do know that there is this sort of, mm, this sort of tension that's happening. Now, the very next thing, note what Jesus says. And this is, this is interesting to me because uh, oftentimes this is not talked about much. And this is, like I said, if you were to Google search the Great Commission, this isn't always included. But I think that it is important to know that that is sort of the heart of the people that are around. There is some sort of doubt. There is some sort of lingering. There is this acknowledgement that obviously it's like, wow, you just did an incredible thing. You're here with us. You are God. But I still don't know. And it's this atmosphere of uncertainty. Jesus comes up to them next and says this, verse 18. Jesus then came to him and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, we as Christians and as churches are, of course, very good at spotting, okay, what do I have to do? What are some of these verbs that jump out at me that say, okay, pray, okay, I will pray, uh, fast, okay, fast, uh, what else does the Bible say to do? And it says, go and make disciples, that is an imperative, that is a command, but I want us to note that even before we get to that, something else happens. Jesus walks up and comforts and encourages his disciples by telling them what? All authority has been given to me. I want to teach something in English grammar and bore the heck out of you just for a moment, okay? But trust me, it will be worth it because 
I assume you're reading your Bibles on your own at home. Please do, okay? <laughs> In fact, I command you to. Okay, <laughs> you should. This will help you a great deal. Now, you'll hear preachers and pastors say things like this. Whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask what? What's it there for, <laughs> okay? Therefore. Usually just before that word therefore, there is a verb or some adjective or something that would be what's called an indicative. Anybody here good at English grammar? No? Okay. J just Spanish? What? Justin's not here. I know. Yeah, he's, he's on mission right now. Okay, there is something called an indicative. Now, what an indicative verb is, is something that indicates, okay, a reality or a fact. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example. Evan is sick, okay? <laughs> That's a fact, okay? He is sick. What comes after the therefore, when you see it says, make disciples, that is an imperative, and that comes out of the reality of that indicative. So, example, Evan is sick. Nothing much you can do about that. However, what can you do? Pray for Evan, okay? You can pray. Our team is in Vietnam on mission right now. Pray for them, right? That is the command. That will help you a great deal because as you're reading through the Gospels and as you're reading through uh, the letters of Paul, you're going, to note very, uh, you're going to note very quickly that all of these commands that we should be doing as a church don't just come out of nowhere, okay, but they actually come out of the reality of, of who God is and who Jesus is and what he's done. Does that make sense? So, before we get too quickly into, now let's go make disciples, trust me, we'll get to that in just a moment, but we need to sit and understand who Jesus is and what he is saying here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? To me, to Jesus. Remember, again, they're, they're sort of doubting, they're wavering, they're not really sure, uh, you know, should I worship, do I, what do I do, are people going to think weird things of me, is this really Jesus or is this Jesus, I don't know. And he reminds them and comforts and encourages them, all authority has been given to me, the one that you are following has powers beyond you can imagine. You want to talk about transformation, you want to talk about life. All authority has been given to me, the God of life. Do you really trust and believe that? Because I'm quite sure that these guys were still on edge of like, do I fully follow this or not? And Jesus reminds them. Remember, somebody with full authority can authorize. Okay? So that's comforting for us, that we're following after a God who is a God of power. He is a God and the only one who can truly change anything. I know that we're kind of really nitpicking here. Trust me, we'll get to the implications in a little bit. But this is important to understand because when you find yourself fatigued or when you find yourself tired or frustrated with ministry, you have to sit back and you have to think, am I really, am I just doing things just to do them or am I, do I really believe that Jesus is the one that is going to pull through on this? Is he really the one that is going to see, that is going to oversee the change in my life and in the community around me? Do I really believe that God can do something? Or am I just going in circles here? Because that's the attitude that you will have. Sure, you'll come to worship. You will continue to do the same things. But will you have doubts in your heart and in your mind? Sure. It's important to sit back and remember before you continue doing things. 
But we're told make disciples, yes. It comes out of the reality of who God is. Having authority is also comforting. It's, it's good to know that uh, we're tied to something bigger. Uh, for example, okay, before you are commissioned to go and make disciples, you might feel like, oh, am I going to, how do I do this? This is weird. Well, it's good to know that Jesus is with you and that you have full, you're, you're under the authority of him. Here's why that's a, that's a comfort. Let me give you an example. If I were to walk into a Starbucks and I just start rearranging the cups and the beans and all of that, um, <laughs> How do you think the, the, the manager and the coworkers and everybody's going to feel and look? They're kind of like going to look at me and feel kind of like, um, you, you can't really do that. <laughs> what are you doing? Imagine this. I walked into your family's home. This first time that you've ever invited me over and, and I walk in and, uh, and I just greet your parents and then I start rearranging their furniture. Okay, yeah, the exact. Some of you are laughing like, well, no, that's kind of ridiculous, right? <laughs> because they would probably be like, um... Can you ask your white friend to leave? <laughs> you know, like, it's like, who is this guy? I don't know you, you know, nothing. But if I am related to or if I am a son of the person who owns the home, of course, I would talk with them before rearranging the furniture, but it makes a little more sense. If I am a worker under the management of that Starbucks and I'm rearranging the beans because I think it would be better or whatever, sure, I can rest in the comfort that, okay, I'm under the authority of my manager. I, I can do this. I can do this. So it does provide a comfort for us as well. Kind of a funny illustration, sorry. I, you know, when you're sick, things happen. But the idea here is that we want to live under that reality of who Jesus is and what that means for us instead of just going out and trying and doing because that's called religion. And you can find that in any other religion where you just go out and follow the teaching without understanding the reality of things of who your God is and what that makes you. If I give you the authority of a police officer, okay, you're going to naturally begin to police because now you have that title, right? It has been vested on you. Likewise, if you are the royal priesthood, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ who has all authority in heaven and on earth to enact change in people, you are that priesthood, you are that body, Christ, then wow, you are the carriers. And so now it makes sense. Therefore, it makes sense to move on and say, go and make disciples. Remember who I am first, says Jesus. Let your hearts be put at ease. Now, I'm trusting you and I'm sending you out. Go and make disciples. Now, we have... Some other English grammar, I'm really sorry. Okay, we have imperatives. There's only two imperatives found here. The rest are participles. I won't go too much into that. The main thing to focus on here is go and make disciples of all nations. That is the command. Go is actually just kind of tied to make disciples. It's sort of like saying as you are going. Okay, so as you are going along in life. Does that mean that some of you will be sent to Vietnam, Cambodia, Peru, Arizona, wherever else mission opportunity opens up? Of course. Of course. But it can also mean that as you are going through life in your workplace, in your family, that you are called to make disciples. It doesn't specify a place or a time, but that is a lifestyle. Again, we're reorienting our lives to the gospel and how to be a good steward of it. As we are going at all times, we are making disciples. What is a disciple? It is a pupil, or a not a pupil like your eyes, but a pupil like a student 
of a way, okay, of a certain teaching. That is what a disciple is. And we are called to make disciples. Well, how am I supposed to do that? Well, that's why we have these other helping verbs, these participles, baptizing and teaching. That is what we find here. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Very clear Trinitarian construction there. So if you have Jehovah's Witness friends, or if anybody here is, then maybe you can try to explain why it's the name, singular, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, plural, together. What is baptism? Is Jesus actually commanding us? Like, look, okay, I have all authority, so now go out and baptize your friends. Next time you're at work by the water cooler, you just stick their face under there and you just slam water in it. What does it mean, really? Kind of crazy. Don't do that. Don't do it. Maybe you need to be told that. Baptism means to dip. Literally, it's just to dip or to plunge or expose completely to saturate something. Okay, and this is an ongoing verb, so that means baptizing means it's something ongoing. So now are we saying that we need to constantly like get out the baptismal and every single week be rebaptized? Well, no, it doesn't. I'll give you a little history about the baptism and what that means. Levitical priests would have to be baptized. They'd have to be completely cleansed before they can go uh, to work as the priesthood. Kind of cool to think about, especially since we're called the royal priesthood in 1 Peter. By the time it came to Jesus' time around that era, uh, we do find that there was still baptism going on, and this would be for uh, non-Jewish proselytes or people who were not Jewish wanting to convert into the Jewish faith. Uh, it would be typical to have little baptismals, and people maybe who came from another country and said, I've heard of the God of Israel, and I'd like to become, I'm not a Jew by blood, but I'd like to be a Jew by faith. And so they'd say, okay, well, here's what you'd have to do, and we'll baptize you as a public symbol showing that you have completely accepted everything about our faith. So they plunged completely under, that they were washed clean by God. And we see this, of course, with John the Baptist, right? Now, he was preaching something a little different. We did see him in Mark chapter 1, verse 5. If you'd like to go there, you may. If not, that's okay. I'll explain what happens. He was physically plunging people under the water, right? They were coming out and being baptized. Plunge. But if you go one, one verse prior in Mark 1.4, you'll find John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Preaching a baptism. It's interesting. So we see both elements. We see the actual symbolism of actually physically taking you and dunking you underwater. Okay? Or if you watch those YouTube videos of those pro wrestler guys baptizing people. <laughs> ah! But there's also this other element of continuously baptizing. What does that look like? That's interesting. It's constantly taking in more of who God is. Constantly, and how do we do that? Well, it's through prayer and the word of God. Okay, constantly uh, being saturated and letting the word of God penetrate our hearts. And we are called to do that for others. Make disciples. How? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So one, physically, yes, when we become Christians, we do a public demonstration. We want to show our families and friends and maybe those who, who don't know. I, I, I believe that this, is, that this is real. I believe that God is the God of, of change, that he is the God of beauty, that he is the God of truth and justice and love. And I want to show my friends and family that. 
and I am aligning myself completely with this Jesus. I believe he has all authority. But secondly, that we are continuously doing that, that we don't just stop. Secondly, to teach, teaching them to obey all the commandments of God. It's not just teach, it's teach them to obey, okay? So one, there is an element of teaching, of actually opening our mouths and speaking. Paul writes about this later and says, like, well, who's going to know unless you actually preach or talk or open your mouth? It comes through hearing. You are now God's instruments to actually open up your mouth and share, and to be able to teach things, right? But not just that, to obey. It's practical. Teach them to obey. When I was younger, when I was a, um, a young Christian in, uh, well, it was just before college, so it was probably my teen years, I had plenty of addictions, including pornography and cursing. Uh, those were my two favorite ones, I guess. Usually not at the same time, but uh, there would be just, this, like, just anger and all of this, like, stuff that would come out to my mind and out of my mouth. There would be objectifying of people, especially women, in pornography. And, and I saw, as I was being taught the word of God, I started to see myself change. I started to see myself lose these things and say, you know what? I'm hearing more about God. And I was, I was accountable to other young men at the time. And they would they'd say, hey, how's that going? And we would be able to set up this accountability system. Now, obedience is not just like, okay, are we just following rules again? Obedience is a clear sign that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. It's a sign that, that this is, you're letting Jesus in. Right? It's teaching them to obey. Well, what are these commandments that you read? The command is to love. Love God and love people. Wow. Last section, okay? So he says, he starts by saying, hey, all authority. I'm the one with all power. I am the one who can speak truth. I am the one that can change a life has been given to me. In heaven and on earth, all change comes through me. Now go and make disciples, teach, preach, baptize. And I love this. I actually choked up this morning thinking about this and also because my tonsils were swollen. But he says, I am with you. And actually he says, Look, or low, or verily, or what does it say in the NIV? It says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, okay, surely, that's actually the next imperative. I know that sounds strange. But imperative can also be used in this way as, as an emphasizer, right? It's kind of like, does anybody here know Spanish or, or kind of know? In Spanish, you'd say, mira, or it's kind of like, hey, pay attention. It's almost as if you're turning away like, okay, I got my orders, thanks Jesus, and, and he, he grabs your shoulder one more time like, hey, look, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, until your very last breath, I will be with you. You're not doing this alone. I started tearing up thinking, wow, for me and my story, I first knew God as my friend. True, he is the friend of sinners. But that he'll never leave us. That's a great encouragement. Luke, uh, Matthew's gospel ends with this promise and this encouragement. 
And it comes in the context of mission to the world. I'm with you always. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to think, oh, I got to do all this on my own and get creative and figure this out and bamboozle people into Jesus or anything. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, how do we steward this gospel well? How do we steward this gospel well? Well, right away, what we saw in the book of Acts, how do we reorient our lives? Well, they were excited. There was a sense of urgency. They understood what the gospel was. They understood and saw clearly, like, this is what the kingdom of God is looking like. They knew from the very beginning that there was brokenness, and they knew even prior to that that there was goodness, right? The ancient Jews uh, already had the Old Testament, so they had the benefit of knowing, like, okay, God created all things. We are made in the image of God. God makes things beautiful. They knew about creation. They knew about the fall. That would be the second part, right? What comes next? Jesus, right? This was the key. This was the story. There was redemption. There was hope. And the fourth part they knew is that there's new creation, so we're now going. There is, we're part of something much bigger, they had then began to, uh, they began to formalize, uh, f- um, come together into communities. They began sharing the gospel. They began sharing things with one another. They began going out. It just, they reoriented their entire life to suit what God's big story was. Does that mean that they completely stopped their life? No. Did they all become pastors and preachers? No, they didn't. They continued in their work, they continued in their home life, but there was radical change and they made it known. And praise God, later on they started writing these things down. Hey, here's what Jesus, you're going to need to know this. This is what Jesus actually said. This is what Jesus did. One of the Gospels even tells us like, oh, and there are so many more things that he said and did, but I just, I can't fit it all in here. But this is, we trust what we need to know. They started dying off, so, you know, it's pretty smart. Like, oh, we should actually write this down before we die so that everybody will know. Well, other Christians began reading this and then copying it. You are here today because other people were, were good and faithful stewards of the good news. You are holding this Bible because somebody was faithful to the gospel and being a good steward of it. You're here today because somebody told you the gospel. And whether you fully believe it or not yet, you may still be on the, on the fence about it, but you're here. There's something inside of your heart and in your mind that said, hmm, could this be? Now, you may be kind of excited, like, well, yeah, you know what? That, that, hmm, yeah, I should probably reorient my life. Okay, well, maybe I'll, I'll speak about it a little bit more. You're going to quickly run into a problem. Okay, in, in our country and in our age. Because you're going to say, okay, you know, I want to make disciples. You know, I, maybe I will teach. Maybe, I will, maybe I'll baptize verbally somehow. Like, I just want to, like, expose people to God and, and just, just completely saturate. Man, I want to go all out for Jesus. I want to be all in. You're going to quickly find this theological question these days. Who cares? Who cares? Oh, well, you know, Jesus, um, like, died for your sins and... Um, and, and, but then he came back, he was resurrected, and then, who cares? It doesn't do anything for my life. I'm just going to keep doing the same thing. Great, Jesus died for my sin. Okay, cool, thanks, Jesus. I'm still going to live my life. That is the theological atmosphere that we are living in right now. Why? 
possibly because for so long, we just trusted that approach of if we remember the formula, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. Great, and that's great. We do need to know that. But if we don't contextualize, if we don't make things relevant, and if we don't listen to people, then it does mean nothing to them. How is the good news really good news unless we show people that there is good news and there is hope? And how do we do that unless we first get to know them, unless we actually hear their pains and their needs? Where am I getting this from? Well, I'm actually looking at what Jesus did in his evangelism tactic. Yes, he had a preaching ministry, much like this, where he would preach and teach. But in his interactions with one-on-one -on -one with people, we don't see him anywhere saying things like, well, here's the four spiritual laws, okay. We don't see them, he, we don't see Jesus saying, well, you know, here's the Roman road. Here's the sinner's prayer. Just say the sinner's prayer and then I'll accept you. We also don't see him saying, you know, you should come to my church. I don't know why everybody says that. Like, you're, you're good salespeople for TLC, but, okay, we're not doing so good on actually sharing the, the gospel as good news. Okay, we don't need people to come to TLC. We need people to come to Jesus. Some examples of Jesus doing this, just so we can get an idea. In John chapter 4, we meet Jesus uh, meeting a woman at the well. If you everybody recall that in John chapter 4? He meets a woman at the well up in Samaria, and she's just shocked because he approaches her. Says, hey, can I get some water? He doesn't start with like, hey, you wicked sinner, why don't you repent and come to Jesus or I'll kick you in this well? No. I'll baptize you right now. <laughs> no. He just says, can I share a drink with you? And she's shocked. And she opens up. And does he tell her the truth? Yes. Does he begin to... Teacher, does he begin to baptize her? Not literally. Yeah. But it comes through hearing first and listening and, and engaging in a conversation. In Luke chapter 10, right before this, the parable of the Good Samaritan, if you remember the context of that, he's actually talking to a religious teacher who says, well, what do I have to do, do to be saved? Again, does Jesus say like, well, you see, there's creation. There's no, no he actually says, well, what do you think? How do you read? You know the scripture, right? Well, you know. How do you read it? Love God, love people, serve the world. Oh, that's good. That's good. And then he goes on and elaborates, but he picks up and meets them where they're at. Mark chapter 2, we see uh, Jesus dining with sinners and tax collectors, okay? People who, sh he's sharing a meal with all of these people who most religious folks would not dare go near. Oh, they're kind of, you know, they like to party and you know, they get all nasty. I don't want to be around all that. They're, they are far from God and they are far from me, trust me. They are ostracized in every way. But Jesus actually goes and dines with them and has a meal. If you look in John chapter 3, he meets with Nicodemus. He hears his questions, right? He's, you know, he comes up, like, oh, you want me to go back in my mom and then come back out and get born again? What the heck does that mean? Right? Jesus hears these questions and these deep concerns. Every time he meets people, he does impart the truth. I love what Francis Schaeffer says. Francis Schaeffer is a, uh, uh, an old Protestant pastor and uh, theologian. He said, if I had one hour with someone who didn't know Jesus, I'd listen for 55 minutes and speak impactfully for five minutes. Imagine sitting down with somebody. You have an opportunity and just listen to their lives. 
instead of going in right away. Here's my Jesus shirt or TLC shirt, you know. But your TLC shirt will not bring people to Jesus, okay? Maybe. I mean, God could work miracles, but I'm pretty sure that our responsibility goes far beyond that. If it were as easy as that, I, we would all order those shirts and walk around all the time. But it comes through sitting and being with people and preaching and teaching and, and, and meeting them where they're at. Where do I look for pains? Evan, what am I supposed to do? Like, are you just, hey, excuse me, uh, it's good to meet you. Yeah, do you have any pains in your life so I could tell you about Jesus? It's not hard, folks. It's not hard to know that we're in a broken world. Open your social media app. Scroll through past all the food and all the selfies. You're going to see a lot of people that are hurting. I've seen posts in anger. Oh, my stupid parents. Oh, my boss. Could be the same person sometimes. Oh, we broke up again, but you know what? It's all good. And people try to fabricate good news all the time. But really, they're looking for a savior. They just don't know it. They're trying to fill it with all these false saviors. Don't I look hot? Ooh, I'm bad. Ooh. Someone's anxious about just, this was actually just last night. I was thinking about it. Just last night, I was at a wedding sat down at a table uh, with a couple who was pregnant. And they had all these anxieties right away. They're like, oh, we're excited, but oh, we're nervous, and blah, blah, blah. And I always hear comments like this from, from uh, uh, parents, of, um, first-time parents. They'll say something to the effect of like, well, you know, I mean, you don't really know, right? There's no book on parenting. <laughs> well, what if you, that's a perfect opportunity to speak something into that nervousness, into that wavering, and to be able to say, actually, well, there is. It doesn't say book of Job, book of Matthew, book of uh, parenting. No. You say, well, actually the Bible is, it does speak to you and your role as a parent and theirs as children and God actually has a design for you. And that's a great starting point. That is where you meet them where they're at. Someone has lost a loved one. Somebody had a bad diagnosis. Somebody's feeling minimalized at work. Somebody is, is struggling with an addiction or an obsession. Somebody just broke up or is stuck in a bad relationship. If you look around and if you open your ears to those around you, you will see very quickly that this is a broken world and there are people in need of a savior. It breaks down to people's basic needs. There is a need for acceptance, right? They can't, and, and you know, I wish I had a PowerPoint to kind of show you a few of these words. But all of these will break down for needs of acceptance, justification, intimacy, and hope. Let me restate these. People are in need of acceptance. That's why they join different communities. That's why they're, they're, they act sometimes the way that they do. That's why we promote this culture of, you know, well, you know, you can be whatever you want. Because <laughs> people don't really know who they are. Their identity is in so many different things. People are in need of justification. In other words, they're trying to prove something to themselves. They need to prove something to their families. Like, see, I have a degree. I'm smart. Now I'm good enough. They need to prove something to God. Oh, I went on mission. I gave a lot of money. See, now God will have to accept me. These people need to hear the gospel. They need to hear that there's good news. You don't have to do that. You don't have to work so hard to be accepted by God. You don't have to climb some sort of magical ladder. Jesus already climbed down that ladder to save you. You don't have to, oh, I've got all these 
I got to work out and be really hot so that everybody thinks this of me. You don't have to. Yes, you do need to shepherd your body and steward your body, of course. Take care of yourself. It's not your body, it's God's. 1 Corinthians. People are in need of intimacy. Loneliest generation that we have is the Facebook generation. You have 900 friends. How many of them do you really know? People are in need of intimacy. They need to hear. They need rescuing. They need to know that, hey, God knows you. He knows every part of you. People are in need of hope. We have a brother who's um, serving in another state, as you know. He's teaching and um, just sharing about the community there. It's a low-income family, where, uh, low-income community uh, where families are very broken. Many fathers leave. But man, there's just there's so much. That what they need is hope. And he sits down with some of them uh, after class sometimes where they ask him, why should I go for a higher education? Why should I get a job? Who cares? They're broken. He's like, do you know that God actually has a bigger plan? And he wants to use you in his plan. That you're valuable to him. That you are treasured by him. People need encouragement. They need to hear the good news. Now, what would it look like for us to begin to do that? Well, one, it has to start with us preaching to ourselves. We need to hear the gospel in our own lives. We need to hear some of these things. We need to stop and say, why am I getting so angry? Why am I getting so lustful? Why am I doing all of these things? God, will you help me? Will you show me? Will you reveal to me? Is it a need that I just need to be close? Do I need to feel like, when you, in those times when you're feeling like, I just need to be viewed a certain way? Good to go back to God, be reminded of what he's done and what he's doing in your life. Sometimes you feel like you're such a wreck. I know I do. I'm like, man, there's days when I'm like, ah, I'm the best person in the world. And then there's times when I'm like, oh my gosh, just kill me, God, I suck. And in those times, I need to go back and say, no, you know what? I'm, I've been purchased and redeemed. I'm adopted by God. There are broken families that need to hear about adoption. Like, well... I know you've lost somebody or that there's been a, a tear in your family, and that, that is certainly true. God did create goodness in families, and you're feeling that way because, man, yeah, this world is messed up. We all made bad choices. But guess what? There's hope in Jesus. We need to preach the gospel constantly to ourselves. Secondly, here's a challenge for you. Can we preach it? And can we speak, there's this concept of gospel fluency, to one another in our small groups and discipleship groups. What do you really do, TLC, when you get together in TK and MASA, TGIF, TG21, youth? Who else am I missing? Anybody? No? Okay, good. What do you really do? Is it this? Do you just get together and you're like, oh, yeah, just... I had a really bad week, you know, just oh, so messed up. And do you all just sit around and go like, mm, mm, yeah, mm. things suck these days. Mm. It's hard. Because that's just a cesspool of bad news. Or are you able to actually repeat the gospel to one another and inject one another with hope? Do you get together and just teach, uh, like, oh, this word means this, amen, and it's all just academic knowledge, or are you actually putting it to work? 
Are you able to open your mouths and repeat the gospel to one another? And it takes practice and it takes time. Don't take it for granted. Don't think that it's like, okay, uh, well, I'm not really sure. It does take time. It does take time. Practice it in your small groups. Would you be so bold to repeat the gospel into one another's lives? And if we were to do that in our small groups, if we were to do that in discipleship, instead of just sitting around and saying like, oh yeah, you know, I wonder why the sky's blue. I, I mean, <laughs> good boba, I, I don't know what you do. But I pray, I pray that you are able to repeat the gospel constantly and remind one another that it is good news. And if we were to do that, if we were to foster this sort of culture, okay, if we were to do it as a community of God, it should come as very natural language when we are talking with people who don't know Jesus. Because life situations are very similar for everybody, believer or non-believer. We're all human. And if we're able to practice this and get in a rhythm of it, then we can then understand, we can listen deeper. We can be able to be good stewards of this gospel. We can begin to reorient our lives and our speech patterns to shepherd and to steward this gospel into the next generation. We can remind people that they are justified. They don't have to constantly prove something to somebody else. They, they, we can remind them that they are in Christ, that they are unfinished, that God still has more plans, that this isn't going to uh, stop you, that, they're, that they are free from slavery, of addiction and obsession, that they are free, uh, that they can be secure, knowing that Romans 8, like it says, that, hey, there is no power or principality or anything here or in the next life that will keep you from the love of God. They need to hear that they are adopted. We need to hear it. We need to tell each other. We need to go out and make disciples, sharing that with others. Amen? Let's pray.